Well, we are uh, continuing our journey through this book of Galatians, and um, for the past, oh, almost from the beginning of this book, we have been looking at things that rob us of the freedom that Jesus Christ, through his gospel, came to bring us. And last week I shared with you what that freedom kind of looks like, freedom from death, freedom from separation, freedom from trying to impress him, freedom from uh, trying to impress others, freedom to actually live the life that Jesus desires us to live, freedom from fear, freedom from those things. And yet that really doesn't stop us from trying to limit that freedom. It is just in many ways kind of human nature, isn't it? To kind of want to put some sort of expectations, some sort of our own perspective, if you will, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have been looking at those things that kind of rob us of that freedom. Uh, things that have been, you know, done to us or things that maybe we have even done to others that just sort of now all of a sudden at the very least limit that freedom or outright just take that freedom away. And that goes absolutely contrary to what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And so we have been looking at this for the, the past several weeks. And today I was hoping we were going to turn the corner and be able to look at things that give us freedom, but not yet. Next week we'll do that, but not today. Today we're going to look at at least one more thing that I think can rob us of our freedom can rob us of our freedom. And that is this idea of illusion or that idea of magic, for lack of a better word. And here's what I mean by that. Um, how many of you have ever had a rabbit's foot, some sort of trinket that you thought would bring you luck? Anything like that? Don't raise your hands. Just, you know, how many of you have ever believed in, in like superstitious things? Like if you step on a crack, you... That's horrible. Especially on Mother's Day, right? You step on a crack, you break your mother's back, and so you're walking to school and you are careful to avoid all the cracks on the sidewalk because you maybe believe, maybe just a little bit, that if you did that, that some harm would come to your mother. And God forbid, we don't want any harm to come to our moms. And so, stuff like that, right? Things that we believe that if we do this, it'll be good, or if we don't do this, it will go bad. For instance, in my family, every New Year's Day... My grandmother had a tradition, and she believed this. Um, it was um, every New Year's Day, she, we would have a, obviously a New Year's Day meal and all that kind of stuff, but one of the things that we had to have was pinto beans. And we had to have at least one pinto bean on New Year's Day, because that would bring you good fortune, somehow. I don't know how. Beans largely are not my favorite thing to eat. Um, lima beans being the chief among them. I don't understand the value or the, the, the necessity of lima beans. Right, alright. Um, I mean, talk about good news. Freedom in Jesus Christ, you do not have to eat lima beans. Um, they're just disgusting. I mean, honestly, it's just disgusting. But we had to eat at least, no, black eyed peas, I think that's what it was. Black eyed peas. We had to eat one black eyed pea. Um, you know, it's nasty. You know, there's a band named the, the Black Eyed Peas, and I don't care for them either. Um, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I just, you know, stuff like that that we put on ourselves, kind of this superstitious kind of belief system that if we don't do something correct, 
we might mess up the rest of our day, the rest of our week, the rest of our month, or God forbid, even the rest of our year. Or we might bring some sort of bad luck. So we do things every single day, these little behaviors, if you will, to try to help us to make sure that we don't mess up anything, that no bad fortune or bad luck comes to us. Amen? Amen. And we believe it. Athletes are the worst, I am told. Right? Athletes, I mean, they don't ever want to mess up. And so they do rituals that, that, that in some ways gives them confidence that if we do it this way, we will not lose today's game. Because that is so important. Whatever those rituals are, I don't wash my socks for a whole year. God forbid. Whatever. I don't know what it is. Just unbelievable rituals. Because we want to make sure that nothing unfortunate happens to us. I share that with you because whether or not you believe this, that same belief, that same kind of behaviors, that same kind of attitude can actually infiltrate the gospel. And we're going to see today how it does that. And not only that, we're going to also look at today how it is that you and I know that we have truly received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hint, it's not through trinkets. It's not through any of that stuff. By the way, I remember my own little trinket. I'll give you one little, one little example before we go into today's passage. Uh, I was in uh, uh, college and I was getting ready to leave uh, my grandparents who I'd worked for uh, for a summer down in Florida. And um, one of my, the manager's wife gave me a guardian angel pin. I believe for a time if I wore that pin, man, nothing was going to happen to me. I have a guardian angel. There she is, right there. It's always a she, right? It's always a she. I've never heard a guardian angel be a he. Maybe there is, but I've never referred, you know, but regardless, that's irrelevant to this whole thing. Um, But I just believe that if I had this guardian angel, I'm good. I'm good. I've got her right here. She's on my lapel, right there, kind of thing. Uh, you know, we, you know, like I said, it is possible for us to introduce that kind of thinking into our relationship with Jesus Christ and more than that, into the gospel. And so we are going to learn how that happens. But more than that, we're going to learn how it is that you and I know and can know that we have truly received the gospel and how we can know when we probably haven't truly received the gospel. That's what we're going to look at today, because here's the thing, illusion, magic, The little things that we do to hopefully not have misfortune can rob us of our freedom. And hopefully we're going to see at least one powerful way this can happen. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 today. And we're going to take a look at how it is that these little things that we do can actually rob us of our freedom And instead, if freeing us, giving us confidence, can actually do just the opposite. And so here we're going to start off with a statement. And it's this. How do we know that we have received the real gospel? It's this. The real gospel is received when you and I believe. Let's read that together. The real gospel is received when you believe. Oh, that was lame. Okay, you're not being judged. Um, By Jesus, at least. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, 
uh, we'll get better on the second one, I hope. But the second one's not nearly as important as this one. So anyways, um, here's what I mean by this. We're going we're gonna to flesh this out. This is what Paul writes because he is writing this to the Galatians. And that is a region in Turkey. And that involves several churches that he was addressing. And by the way, they made, were made up of both Gentiles and Jews, okay? Coming to know Jesus. And if you want to talk about just a mess of how to make Jews and Gentiles be able to come together when before they were separate, before the Jews would look at the Gentiles and look at them and say, you're all sinners because you don't have God. You don't have the Ten Commandments. You all are lost. You all are unclean. We will not have anything to do with you at all. And the Gentiles would look at the Jews and look at them and say, you all are just weird. You all don't have it together. You all are just, you, you think you know it all. You think you have it together. And there was this rivalry, this division, this wall of separation. And you want to talk about how to bring two groups of people together? Wow. Let me just say this. Thank goodness Paul had to deal with this instead of us today. Today in churches, it's really hard still to get people to worship together, right? Oftentimes, churches are tend to be monocultural instead of multicultural. Churches today tend to be of the same kind of... Um, Types of individuals and stuff. And there are many reasons for that. I don't think um, they are all necessarily bad. It's just we just naturally gravitate towards those that we are comfortable with, that we are have affinity with, that sort of thing. And that's just what it is. Um, it's not all bad. It is so hard. And the saying is that the most segregated hour in America is the hour on Sunday. Right? Which is not the way it should be. I get that. And, and it should never be that way. And I just want to say here at Summit Ridge, we invite anyone. It doesn't matter because that's the beauty of the gospel. Anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your level of education. It doesn't even matter your age. It doesn't matter your politics. It doesn't matter of any of that stuff. You are welcomed here. Period. Because God doesn't look at us and say, oh, yeah, you got the wrong outfit on today. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, you're not old enough to be here today. Kind of thing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Thank goodness the gospel of Jesus Christ welcomes all. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. You, me, people that haven't yet even existed yet. People who have not yet even walked this earth. The gospel is for them as well. Because we may not know them, but Jesus does. And he loves them. And here's the thing. The real gospel is received when you and I believe. Here's what Paul writes. And this is what was going on in the churches in the region of Galatia. He says this in verse 1. You foolish Galatians. And by the way, I love this letter, and the reason why is Paul shares some of the most raw, emotional, and just bare bones seeing the real Paul than in almost any other letter in the Bible that he has written. This is how passionate he is about helping them to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this, 
You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And I love this, that, that phrase that Paul uses, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has cast a spell on you? Who has performed some sort of magic trick, some sort of illusion, some sort of trinket that, you know, if you step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back kind of thing, and you believed it? Who is, that's what Paul is talking about here. Who has done this to you? Why have you so easily accepted it? Why have you been so easily bewitched? Because here's the thing, that stuff, whoever has bewitched you, whoever has cursed you or put a curse on you or has told you about certain things that you have to do, that's all an illusion. It's not real. Let me just say right now, right here, I'm going to break people's hearts. David Copperfield, Blaine, whatever that guy's name, you name the magician, they are not real magicians. The stuff they do is illusion. Absolutely. It's fake. It isn't real. Right? It isn't real. In fact, there was a court case, I love this, that David Copperfield had to do and face up to because someone got injured in one of his acts and he had to show how he did it. And it like, oh man, you know, it's not real, period. All that stuff, it's not real. It's just simply not real. The same here, it's not real. This is what's real. Jesus Christ crucified. That's real. Jesus Christ crucified is real. It has happened. It has taken place. It has been recorded not only in the scriptures, but even in historical documents, it has happened, period. A person by the name of Jesus was crucified by the Romans. He was crucified. People saw it. People recorded it. It has been marked. It is an event in history. It has happened. So what Paul does is he says to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then in in the same sentence says, to the reality and the truth of Jesus crucified. Now here is what goes on in verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, not only do we know that Jesus was crucified because it has been recorded in history, even outside of the Scriptures. But here's another powerful reason why we know as Christians Jesus was crucified. We have been given His Holy Spirit, which has testified to that very truth. Period. We know it. Jesus has been crucified. And Paul simply asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit by what you did, or rather by what you heard? In other words, Paul is saying... We receive the gospel by believing. Period. Period. And he goes on and says this. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now becoming perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed if it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words... All of the things that have happened. Did you suffer? 
Did you have to go through the crucifixion? Did you have to do all the things that Jesus did? And the answer is no. You didn't have to do all any of those things. All you and I had to do was simply believe that Jesus did those things so that we could have freedom. That's what we have to do. And he goes on in verse 6 and says this, Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, the reason why Abraham is so honored today, even among us, isn't because he was circumcised. Isn't because he was promised a great nation and land. That's not why we honor Abraham. We honor Abraham because he had faith. He had faith in God. And that's what made him righteous. Not anything else. Not anything else. It is his faith and belief that God was going to do what God said he was going to do that we honor him today. That Abraham was now made right with God himself. And he goes on and says this, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Here is the other thing is that by faith, Abraham knew that the message, the chosenness by which God had placed on him wasn't just for him and his nation. It would be also to benefit the entire world. In other words, the worst thing you and I as followers of Jesus Christ could ever believe is, first of all, that the gospel that we have been given is just for us, that we should never share it. We should keep it to ourselves. That is the worst, one of the worst things we as Christians could ever think we could do and believe. Is that the world out there is evil. The world out there we should avoid. The world out there we should never have come into here. Anything like that. But instead, keep this all closed so that no one else can come in. Abraham never believed that. He knew that the nation that God would form out of him would be a blessing not so they could keep it to themselves, but so that they would bless others. Period. And so all of a sudden now, we see here that the essence of believing in the gospel is absolutely essential. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. It's simple. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus won. Jesus came to earth, to serve and not to be served. And the way that he served us is that he died on the cross. He died on the cross for every single one of us. And in doing that, Jesus won. He won over sin, over death. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus won. Do you notice anything unique about that gospel message? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Do you understand that there's nothing in there about us? The good news isn't that we are saved. The good news is that Jesus saved us. That's the good news. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But you know what? That doesn't stop us from making it complicated. That doesn't stop us from saying, well, yes, but in order to accept Jesus, we need you to do X. We need you to do Y. We need you to do Z. We need you to, for instance, uh, if you accept Jesus, we need you to now start tithing. All that. By the way, I'm going to write an article. I'm, I'm, I'm not yet, you know, I've got the 
format or the framing of it. I'm going to write an article that's entitled, Stop Tithing. Give instead. Stop tithing. Give instead. I'm going to explain how tithing was a tax in those times. I'm going to explain how tithing was in many ways a temple tax that the Jewish people were required to pay. That is not what Jesus desires from any of us is to pay a tax. How many of us love to pay taxes? No hands. Right? None. No. Jesus doesn't want you and I to pay a tax. He would rather us give. Because we want to. Because it's a joy to. So please give. But stop tithing. If tithing makes you feel just anxious, if tithing makes you feel as though it is an obligation rather than a joy, stop doing it. Stop it. Yes, I'm telling you. I'm also going to write another article that says, stop following the Bible. Follow Jesus instead. How many of us mistake this for Jesus? How many of us mistake this book as being Jesus? It's not Jesus. The whole point of this is to point us to Jesus. It's like we're dogs. Any of you owned a dog and you try to get your dog to lick up a mess that you spilt because that's why you obviously have a dog is that if you're in the kitchen and you spill something, you don't need to clean it up. Rover, get over here. And you try to point out the mess, right, that you want him or her to lick up. And instead, the dog's looking where? It's your finger. That's the Bible. The Bible is a pointer to Jesus. If we read this Bible and don't get pointed to Jesus, we have misread this book. Period. So one of the other things that we do to complicate the gospel message is we say, well, you've got to be doctrinally correct. You've got to have your theology all together in order to, to accept Jesus. So let's put you through a course to get you theologically grounded before you can accept Jesus. I'm not opposed to being theologically grounded. In fact, I think it's really, really, really important. It's just not an obligation to accepting the gospel. We make it complicated. Here's the gospel. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus won. That'll preach as it's already been done. Right? That'll, that dog will hunt, so to speak. And I'm not even from the South. That's it. That's the gospel. And by the way, Paul is incredibly consistent in this, that all we have to do to receive the gospel is believe. There's a great story in Acts chapter 16. I want to share it with you this morning. Acts chapter 16, Paul and, um, I think it was Silas here. Let me, let me just go here real quick. And I love... What it says here, verses 25 through 31, it says this, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They're in jail, by the way. They're in jail for preaching the gospel. And listen to this. And the prisoners were listening to them. I I just love this. Here they are in jail. It's a miserable jail. If you think jails in our country were bad, they're nothing. They're Hilton compared to what the jails were like in those days. And yet Paul and Silas are singing hymns. I, I would love to know what hymns they were singing. I probably would suspect they were singing out of Psalms. Songs of ascension, by the way, are in Psalms. And those are the songs that the Jewish people would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem to worship God. Songs of ascension going up. Probably they were singing 
some of those hymns. Unbelievable. In the midst of being in prison, they're singing hymns. And then lo and behold, listen, listen to what happens now. Um, it, it, all of a sudden this happens. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Not just Paul and Silas's door and chains were unfastened, but everyone's doors came opened and the chains that they were in came off. Wow. Talk about, well, how many of us would say, well, this is a word from the Lord. I've got to go. It doesn't get any more clearer than that. Amen. I've got to go. I mean, who wouldn't say that? And who wouldn't believe that? I would certainly believe that. Here's what happened next. Verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped because that was the punishment. If you were the jailer, you were in charge of keeping the people in your jail there. And if they escaped, they didn't pay, you did. And you paid with your life. And so he just thought, not only has not just one prisoner escaped, but all of them now have escaped. So I am just going to get it over with now and kill myself. But listen what happens. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All the prisoners are still in their cells. The doors are open, the chains are off, and they're still there. Wow. That's the miracle. That's truth. That's reality. That's the crucifixion in flesh and blood. That isn't magic. That is an illusion. This really happened. Verse 29. And he, the jailer, called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now this is the key question. He is asked, Paul, asked by the jailer, what must I do to be saved? This is Paul's opportunity. Well, here's what you can do. You can give me money for my mission. You can give me food for my belly. You can escort me and come with me on my missionary journey. You can, whatever, you name it. This was Paul's opportunity to share what it is that he should do to be saved. But instead, this is how Paul and Silas respond. Verse 31. They said, believe. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to circle that word, highlight it, whatever, star it, in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. In other words, out of all the things that Paul could have said to him about how to receive the gospel, he simply said what? Believe. Believe. That's it. That's it. That's it. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 9, Paul writes the following. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and what? Believe, 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 believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, let us not complicate the gospel. 
Let us not make it what it is not supposed to be. It is a simple, not an easy, it is a simple message. Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus won. And in order to accept that good news, all we need to do is believe. So you and I know that if we have simply believed, we have truly accepted the gospel. If you and I have believed, that's how we know we have truly accepted the gospel. Period. Nothing more, nothing less. But let's be honest, that's just too easy. That's just too easy. We've got to make it a little bit more than what it is. And that's where we go into the false gospel. A false gospel is this. A false gospel deceives you in thinking it can be achieved. A false gospel deceives you and I in thinking it can be achieved. Here's what Paul writes in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. In other words, here is the bewitching that happened. Here is the illusion that took place. Here is the trick that was placed on the Galatians. And it was simply this. Oh, no, no, no. To accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, you, you have to do more than just simply believe. You've got to actually do. You've got to do these things. And these things are follow the law. In other words, these things is become Jewish as I am Jewish. And then from there, you can accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? How easy it is to believe that. How many of us wouldn't love the clarity of this is what I need to do? And that I have some part to play in salvation. How many of us wouldn't be attracted to the fact that, you know what, this is what I did to get saved. This is what I was able to do. I can point to the actions, to the things I did, so that Jesus Christ and His salvation would now be on me. How many of us aren't attracted to the fact that we love action? We love doing things. We love the fact that we can point back and say, I did this, and that's why I am saved. How many of us wouldn't be attracted to something like that? And yet that's still a false gospel, because here's what Paul says. It doesn't take faith to believe in the law. The law is the law. The law is the law, period. You don't need to have faith to believe in the law. The law is written down. The law is there. That doesn't require anything except obedience. And if you and I believe that in order for us to be saved, that we have to follow the law, Paul makes it very clear that if we do that, we are now falling under the curse of the law because guess what? You and I could never follow the law perfectly, ever. Ever. There is no way you and I could follow the law. We will break it every time. If we don't break it in deed, guess how we'll break it? In thought. In mind. In attitude. In other words, the law isn't just simply broken by deed. It is broken by so much more. By our attitudes, by our thoughts, everything else. And Paul says, if you decide to go that route, 
Instead of being saved, you will now be cursed. Period. It will have the incredibly opposite effect of what you would hope it would have. Period. That's what can happen. And in fact, I love the fact that it still hasn't stopped us at times. There's a story in Acts, again, and this is just great, about how people tried to get salvation. There was a guy by the name of Simon the Sorcerer, a magician. And he saw what was going on with Paul, with Peter rather, and all of the acts that he was doing, all of the miracles he was performing. And as a sorcerer, when you begin to see the real thing, you kind of say, wow, that really puts whatever I was doing to shame. I would like that power as well. And so what is interesting is that all of a sudden Simon comes to Peter and he says the following in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the apostles money. He offered them money. Imagine that. He tried to buy it. Saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You thought you could buy it. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are, a, that you are in gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Man, that's rough. Peter just lays it on the line and just says, you thought you could buy God's grace, God's salvation. How foolish you think you are and it also shows how corrupt your heart is. But that doesn't stop Christians from trying to do exactly that. Let me just get a little personal with you this morning about how sometimes this fleshes out. Once in a while, I turn on the TV and watch live TV. I don't watch much live TV anymore because you know why? I don't have to. Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, whatever... I can watch the shows I want to watch when I want to watch them and with minimal to no commercials. Amen. But once in a while, I'll put on the TV and I see these faith healers late at night and they're offering things that you can be healed, but you have to do something. You have to send them money so that you'll get their handkerchief that has sweat on it and maybe by their sweat you'll be healed. Or you've got to send them money so that you will get a flask of oil that has been anointed and carries with it the healing properties that you can now be healed in the name of Jesus. And do you know what the sad reality is? Christians do it. We are so desperate to be healed. We are so desperate to have God's love bestowed on us. We are so desperate to want Jesus in our lives. We are willing to engage in trinkets, in illusions, in magic for us to get those healings, for us to get that approval, for us to get Jesus absolutely in our hearts and lives. And let me just tell you this. Those people are false. They're charlatans. 
They are there simply after your money. Don't believe me? Look at how they live. They are not living a middle class lifestyle. They are not living a life that I would think honors Jesus. Off the backs of people who probably for the most part couldn't even afford to go to the doctor and this is their last hope. God's grace is never for sale. God's grace is never for sale. You can never buy it. You can never earn it. So stop trying. And if you come across those commercials, do yourself a favor. Turn that off. (laughs) If I ever thought I could do something like that, oh, wow. Sell a handkerchief with my sweat on it? Do you know what you would get if you got my handkerchief with sweat on it? Odor. (laughs) Disgusting. Why would I want your sweat? Based on some one passage in which Peter's shadow was falling, or Paul's shadow, and people were being healed. Well, maybe if that's the case, then I can do it. And we treat the works of the Holy Spirit as though it's magic. It's not magic. When Jesus heals, He heals. When Jesus saves, He saves. It's real. It's not an illusion. So stop trying to impress God. Stop trying to do something on your part outside of believing to gain God's favor and salvation. Stop it! There is no amount of trinkets, no amount of crosses around our necks, no amount of guardian angels on our lapels, no amount of handkerchiefs wiped with someone's sweat on it or someone's oil that's there that will bring healing for a buck or two or three or whatever the cost is. Stop it. Jesus' grace is not for sale. You and I are too precious for Him to ever allow that. So stop trying to impress Him. Stop trying to earn your way. I love what Paul says here in Galatians, the end of this passage. He says this, However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Through faith. That's it. That's how we receive the gospel, is by believing, not by achieving. It's by believing, not achieving. Brendan Manning, an author, late author, and and former Catholic priest, wrote a great book among many, one that I really enjoyed, Ragamuffin Gospel. He shares the following quote. He says this, Our huffing and puffing to impress God, our scrambling for brownie points, our thrashing about trying to fix ourselves while hiding our pettiness and wallowing in guilt are nauseating to God and are a flat-out denial of the gospel of grace. He 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 